0: Hello and welcome to Between the Rows. I'm Ed White, your host this week. Today we're going to hear about Innovation Farm and its plans. now that it has new funding.
1: That we create this space, this commercial scale, and we are able to communicate lots of great stories about the ways in which new technologies are being implemented and integrated in a commercial farm and the ways in which this is having a a positive impact on productivity and sustainability. We'll get
0: an update on the container shipping crisis.
2: You can get containers, but the issue we're seeing, and this, is, this has been we've been seeing it for a while, and we haven't seen this quite correct yet.
3: Is that you can't get most of the shipping lines don't want
2: want to service destinations where we want to go.
0: And we'll hear about Frenchuring, the Freeland Doctrine, and what those terms mean for Canada's farmers and export-oriented agriculture.
4: But after Ukraine triumphs, and we must do everything in our power to ensure that victory comes and comes quickly, we will quite likely continue to face a tyrannical Russia on Europe's border and powerful authoritarian regimes elsewhere. Our approach to them must be different from what it has been over the past three decades.
3: But first, a word from our sponsor. Maybe you've had an idea about upgrading your operation. Maybe about finally getting that renovation done or buying some new equipment. Or maybe you're thinking about how you can be a bit more financially secure from season to season. Get some help making it happen by speaking with an RBC Agriculture Account Manager. Then, set up an investment plan to make even more of your ideas happen. Visit rbc.com chartyourcourse your course and get started today.
0: Innovation Farm sounds like an interesting place, and it has interesting plans. To explain what it is, and what it does, and what it plans to be doing, I'm joined by Jacqueline Kina, Managing Director of EMILY, the Enterprise Machine Intelligence and Learning Initiative. Hello, Jacqueline, and welcome to the show.
1: Nice to be connected to you.
0: So, can you tell us um, what Innovation uh, Farm is and what it does? Sure.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Ed. Uh, Innovation Farms is a full-scale commercial farm here in Manitoba. It's about 20 minutes north of Winnipeg. And what Emily has actually done is uh, collaborate with the grower, Rick Rutherford, who will continue to own and operate the farm as, of course, a a commercial operation. But what Innovation Farms actually is, is it's a project that's running on uh, or or at Rutherford Farm to test and validate new technologies uh, across the 5,500-acre farm And what we want to do there is really raise the profile of all sorts of new technologies, be it hardware or software, and what they can do on-farm from a productivity and sustainability perspective. And then the second thing that the the Innovation Farm Project will do is that we have a dedicated um, amount of space, about 100 acres this year and maybe up to 150 or 160 in the years to come, uh, for testing and validation space for uh, new technologies, be it developed by researchers or startups or uh, larger companies that have a new technology that they've developed, what we want to do is provide a space for testing and, validate, testing and validating uh, on commercial scale. When we were working on this project um, in the initial phases a couple of years ago, what what really came true for us or what, what really rang true as we were talking to um, people, startups, people with new innovations, was... That they needed access to commercial scale testing um, opportunities and, and sites to be able to test their new their new innovations. Um, it is really important to have that commercial scale of data collected from these new innovations about how they actually work in the field and how they work on the scale you know that the growers operate at uh, for potential customers of these new products and services, so that they can see how it actually going to work on their farming operation, but it's also really important for startups and, and really anyone with a new innovation to have that kind of uh, testing data available as they speak to potential investors. So we knew it was really important to provide this opportunity of um, commercially uh, available space at that commercial scale for, for new innovations. So that's the work of Innovation Farm. We're going to do lots of uh, interesting projects on the farm. Some of them already started this past growing season. And we're also going to do a lot of work to communicate what happens on farm because we want everyone, whether it's, uh, you know, growers who have many decades of experience or people that are new to the ag industry or people that really don't know very much about agriculture at all, to become more familiar um, by some of the communications that we're going to do about the projects. We want, especially people who are not familiar with agriculture, to know all of the interesting things that happen, uh, all the ways in which agriculture is already an incredibly tech-savvy industry, so that we can increase people's awareness and hopefully attract uh, a few more people into the industry who, who don't have agriculture on their radar right now.
0: And you recently received uh, some uh, substantial funding. What, mm-hmm. uh, what was it you received, and what is that going to allow you to do now?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, that's right. We did make an announcement about great funding for the project, uh, Innovation Farms at Agriculture Enlightened, our annual conference of just last week. And so we're really grateful for the support of both the federal government as well as private industry here in um, Manitoba and across Canada. We received $2.5 million from Prairie's Can, so that's the federal government, and we're really grateful for their support to really launch this project and make it happen. And then we also received... And announced about six million dollars of industry support um, from a number of uh, companies and, and organizations here in Canada. So, Farm Credit Canada, Access Credit Union, uh, Ends Brothers, uh, John Deere Canada, as well as Rutherford Farmed, uh, and the family of Jake Ends uh, Ag Innovation Legacy Fund. So, we're really grateful for their support and really. What it allows us to do is really run this project at scale over the next couple of years. So Innovation Farms really would not exist without that support, and uh, that's why it was such an exciting announcement to really announce the project as well as the um, great support and uh, interest that we've received from the federal government as well as uh, our industry partners.
0: And where do you hope that Innovation Farms goes? What are your hopes and dreams? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, our hopes and dreams really are that we... Uh, do a number of things that we create this space, this commercial scale, and we are able to communicate lots of great stories about the ways in which new technologies are being implemented and integrated in a commercial farm, and the ways in which this is having a, a positive impact on productivity and sustainability in production agriculture. Uh, we want to solve some of those issues for startups and new innovations that need access to commercial scale testing, so that they can keep um, iterating and get a great get. Great new products to market and grow here in Canada, and we also want to make um, this an opportunity to increase people's awareness of agriculture. We know that we will need uh, lots more people in the industry, in a variety of jobs. All you know, of course, uh, in in on the farm, but also all all through the value chain of, of the industry. And so, the Innovation Farm Project is a really useful tool to raise people's awareness of all of the technological opportunity that exists in the industry
0: well thank you very much for uh, being willing to talk to us today and and fill us in on this it sounds like uh, pretty heady stuff and it looks like you're uh, heading off down the path of some pretty interesting research
1: that's great thanks very much ed and as we keep going you know we're always looking for more uh, partners and collaborators and certainly very open to have uh, all sorts of new innovations tested and demonstrated on the farm. So we're always looking to uh, meet new people and and, uh, bring on new collaborators.
0: Well, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks very much, Ed.
0: That was Jacqueline Keena of Emily. This is Between the Rows. Pulse and special crops producers have been living in a nightmare since the pandemic struck and ocean shipping became next to impossible for those exporting their crops via container. Enormous numbers of containers were coming from Asia to Vancouver and other ports were often and generally sent back to Asia empty rather than picking up loads of Canadian crops. That meant exporters got stuck with huge amounts of crop they couldn't move and farmers found they couldn't move their crops off the farm despite high, high prices. To catch us up on what's happening with the container crisis, I called Greg Northey of Pulse Canada, and this is what he told me. Uh, so global demand on, on shipping lines is coming down just because the, the various economic, uh, economic issues that are happening are lowering demand.
3: So you're seeing a drop in prices, uh, rates sorry, for, for containers. So they're at this point, uh, I was just looking last week at one of the indices. It, there, it's only it's there about a
2: hundred. And so we, we always measure like pre-COVID versus now. And so pre-COVID they were, we're still about 140% higher. So you know your you rates, but that's they've dropped. But but that's much better than where they were. Put it in perspective, right? So and and they're still coming down. So. You know, an export container for us would would have been around eight hundred, nine hundred dollars before COVID hit and now it's around uh two thousand or so, depending on the on the route,
0: right? So and and, and where, where 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 was the like when it was in the bad times, you know, the worst times, where where did it get to?
2: Yeah, like four thousand.
0: Yeah, forty five hundred. Yeah. And that's that's for export, right? For import it was I mean it was
2: astronomical. It was twenty five thousand dollars a container coming in, right, versus versus uh, you know this would have been probably about 2000 or something before that so it depends on the import and export but so rates are coming down so de- demand's dropping so so the so that's good as far as supply I mean we it's still pretty acute and that <clears throat> you can uh, you can you can get containers but the issue we're seeing and this is we've been seeing it for a while and we haven't seen this quite correct yet is that you can't get most of the shipping lines don't want, just want to service destinations where we want to go right we're seeing subcontinent so
3: right now out of Vancouver and Montreal like one one shipping line is willing to, to move there and where it used to be
2: you know you'd have a vessel vessel that would go there once a week now it's once a month and it's just more of a torturous route. Right. So it, and and that's still the, that's still the case. And so it's just really put, to be honest, it's still a, a very, very sluggish market for containers. Like we yeah. should be moving much, much more than we should, when we should be, but it's just, it's not a logistic supply chain that, that in any way is particularly feasible. And through vancouver montreal we've got just a, a huge backlog still of a product out of out of eastern canada like whether it's beans or soybeans we're uh, months and months and months behind so it's the, the really good quality product really good harvest this year and it's just still just backed up um because it, it's just less there's just much less options and so uh, we've seen a lot move to bulk, but the reality is a lot of our sector, a lot of these crops, they only move containers: green lentils, chickpeas, battle beans. You know,
3: about forty percent of red lentils, fifty percent of red lentils, and a lot of companies have built their businesses
2: around that. And it's just, it's still really, it's still really painful. But there's there's some hope, right, that these things are going to change because the, the shipping lines are slowly coming back because there the demand is is dropping just everywhere and so they're they are they are looking for movement and and um i say the big big worry though is that because they can manage capacity, capacity collectively so much it'll be just interesting to see how they do that whether they start to blank sailings and and just hit, like pull capacity out so that they can keep the rates high so it's a it's an interesting
0: dynamic to, that we'll be watching for for sure That was Greg Northey of Pulse Canada. As if the pandemic supply chain disruptions and the container crisis weren't enough, Canada's farmers and ag exporters also have to face what appears to be the most fundamental shift in the world order since the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989. Open democracies relying upon global trade, like Canada, are trying to figure out their place in a world that suddenly seems less friendly, less open, and less dependable. The term French-shoring is being bandied about amongst the advanced nations of the Western world. Canada's formidable Deputy Prime Minister Chrystia Freeland has included French-shoring in a comprehensive approach she has fashioned, one compelling enough for some geopolitics experts to call it the Freeman Doctrine. Here she is sounding almost Churchillian as she addressed the Brookings Institute in Washington on October 11th.
4: But after Ukraine triumphs, and we must do everything in our power to ensure that victory comes and comes quickly, we will quite likely continue to face a tyrannical Russia on Europe's border and powerful authoritarian regimes elsewhere. Our approach to them must be different from what it has been over the past three decades. Rather than imagining that their political systems will gradually, peacefully, and enthusiastically come to resemble our own as we all grow richer together. We need to understand that authoritarian regimes are fundamentally hostile to us. Our success is an existential threat to them. That is why they have tried to subvert our democracies from within, and why we should expect them to continue to do so. We must likewise recognize that authoritarian regimes have as little fundamental respect for rules-based order among states as they do for the rule of law within their own countries. That means we need to be cautious about our economic relations with the world's dictators and their elites. We need to make clear that it will no longer be possible to rule like Stalin, but live like Abramovich. We should continue to trade, but we should avoid strategic vulnerabilities in our supply chains and our economies more broadly.
0: The Western democracies have long banded together militarily to oppose belligerent non-democratic powers. It's time. Freeland says, to go further.
4: But we must now expand that closer cooperation to the economy. As fall turns to winter, Europe is bracing for a cold and bitter lesson in the strategic folly of economic reliance on countries whose political and moral values are inimical to our own. China's increasingly aggressive wolf diplomacy has already given many smaller democracies a foretaste of that experience. Now, for some democracies, especially the largest among us, a tempting response to these vulnerabilities will be autarky. But for most democracies, that just isn't feasible. And for all of us, the economic costs would be very high. A better alternative is what U.S. Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, has described as french that democracies must make a conscious effort to build our supply chains through each other's economies. Where democracies must be strategically vulnerable, we should be vulnerable to each other. One way to do this, of course, is through trade agreements. Canada is proud to be the only G7 country with trade deals with every other G7 partner. But we would be happier still to give up our bragging rights and to have our feet replicated by each of our allies. And trade deals aren't enough. Going forward, we should design our government procurement and incentive programs with friend shoring in mind. The Inflation Reduction Act is a forward-thinking example of this approach. The new $7,500 tax credit to buy a new electric vehicle requires that its battery be built using critical minerals and metals produced in countries with which the U.S. has a trade agreement. Now, trade deals are one way to define who our friends are. A complementary approach, exemplified by the EU's proposed ban on imports produced with forced labour, is to identify shared values. Replicated across the world's democracies, friendshoring is a historic opportunity for our workers and our communities. For Canada and Canadian workers, And for those of our democratic allies around the world, this is an economic opportunity to attract new investment, create more good-paying jobs, and for us all to thrive in a changed global economy. It can make our economies more resilient, our supply chains true to our most deeply held principles, and protect our workers and the social safety net they depend on from unfair competition created by coercive societies and race to the bottom business practices. Workers in our democracies have long understood that global trade without values-based rules to govern it made our people poorer and our countries more vulnerable. They have long known that it enriched the plutocrats, but not the people. Friendshoring is an answer to these longstanding and legitimate concerns. But if we are to tie our economies even more closely together, we must be confident that we will all follow the rules in our trade with each other, even and especially when it would be easier not to. We will friendshore more quickly and effectively if we work together to develop shared approaches and if we make an explicit commitment to each other to implement them. And crucially, we must then be prepared to spend some domestic political capital in the name of economic security for our democratic partners. The EU set a powerful example during the COVID pandemic when European vaccine makers honored their contracts with non-European allies. Canada remembers. Canada must and will show similar generosity in fast-tracking. For example, the energy and mining projects our allies need to heat their homes and to manufacture electric vehicles.
0: Freeland says the advanced Western nations need to bring developing democratic nations into the economic alliance.
4: French ring should also mean standing up for each other in the face of economic bullying from the world's dictators, an approach Anders Rasmussen and Ivo Delder have described as an economic version of NATO's Article 5. We cannot allow Lithuania to be coerced over its policy towards Taiwan or South Korean companies to be harassed and boycotted in retaliation against legitimate national security decisions taken by Seoul. A commitment to support each other in the face of such economic strong-arming is the best way to ensure it doesn't happen again. The second pillar and the hardest question that a French-shoring approach must grapple with is our attitude towards the in-between countries. It's easy enough to make the case for deepened economic ties between the countries of the non-geographic West, bound as we already are by close political and often military alliances, NATO allies, and the rich industrialized democracies of the Indo-Pacific. But what about the other countries of Asia, Africa, the Middle East, and Latin America? Their experience of the end of history era was different from ours and the reaction of some to the invasion of Ukraine has accordingly been more ambivalent. Where should they fit into a world in which some of the battle lines that were erased 33 years ago have been redrawn? Our lines of democracies must be open. Friendshoring can't be a closed club, be it the G7 or NATO or the Five Eyes. It cannot be only for rich countries or only for historic partners. It must be open to the democracies of the Caribbean, of Latin America, of Africa, of the Middle East, and of Asia. Open to any country that shares our values and is willing to play by collectively agreed upon rules.
0: But where does this leave Canadian farmers? Agriculture has long been the most global of Canada's industries, trading into virtually every country on the planet. How will any general move into French affect in Canada's farmers and ag exporters? I asked Greg Northey of Pulse Canada about that. I I know with with the grains and uh pulses and oil seeds and meat that we sell I mean we're we're going to friends and you know maybe sometimes what appear to be non-friends and everybody else in the world um how does the sort of the drive to friendshoring you know is it affecting um you know our export uh, I- industry you know in ag and and are we Um, how does that, you know, all this talk about it, how does that affect how we're, I guess, looking at our our future exports?
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, well, I'd say for like, at least from the oil, like when you see a lot of the the crush capacity and all that kind of thing announced, I mean, that that is in in essence part of the, and even in the full sector, the same where you see this these processing plants they put up, whether it's in the U.S. or Canada, as far as the pea protein, pea starch, and those kinds of things. Um, that kind of domestic processing is 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 uh, you know we've been pushing this for a long time, but it's it's sort of that the the concept of French where you're you're basically reducing your your reliance on on these on these markets that may close at any moment, and then ultimately for for Canada, it's it's making our if we want to be considered one of those you know, "quote unquote" friends with you know, with a group of countries around the world who you know want to be in that sort of whatever friendship circle, or whatever I don't know what the proper term would be, you know, it's, it it is about okay, what kind of requirements are they going to have, or the, as far as um, for the products they want to sell? So you know, we need to make sure that we remain tra- attractive, that we don't have these massive delays uh you know for the for 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 poor countries that need a product need to fill their factory with with a grain or whatever or or a uh, mill or you know overseas where just you know, kind of delays and I'd say the other thing that's going to be really important in that kind of scenario this idea of of, of you know friendly supply chains is
4: is um is whenever you start to talk about regulatory issues and, and market access issues and those kind of things where we have a kind of alignment globally on, on those regulations. So I, I you know,
2: I think it's very similar to where we've already, already been been focused. Um, and you know, the expectation is that, that Canada, um, would, would, would benefit from something like this because we, we are a, we are a, we adhere to the, to trade rules, you know, very closely. Uh, we're active players in WTO and other trade deals. We have a lot of different trade deals with a lot of different people. And so, you know, we've, we've had a general focus towards bringing open trade as much as possible. And so uh, we should be in a good, a good space. We should to, to prior to uh, capitalizing any kind of, you know, real push from countries to do French
0: warning. That's all we have for this week. Please join us again next week for another edition of Between the Rows. I'm Ed White,
3: and I was your host. Maybe you've had an idea about upgrading your operation. Maybe about finally getting that renovation done or buying some new equipment. Or maybe you're thinking about how you can be a bit more financially secure from season to season. Get some help making it happen by speaking with an RBC Agriculture Account Manager. Then. Set up an investment plan to make even more of your ideas happen. Visit rbc.com backslash chart your course and get started today.